Hey, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're praying this message encourages you, grows your faith, and builds your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here. If you don't know me, my name's Simo, or Simeon, or Simon. I go by three different names. Um, pick your own adventure. It's like goosebumps. Um, remember that? They scared me. Um, I don't know if they still exist, but yeah, my name's Simo. My amazing wife, Jess, on the front row down here. And we have three little kids, and they keep us very busy. It's fantastic. Um, Life is fun. But if you don't know me, that's a little snapshot of me. Welcome online. Good to see you. And if you're visiting, we hope that you have an incredible morning this morning. You're just just blessed. And uh, we're just so glad that you came and checked it out. And um, and if you're in the building, good to have you as well. So, and if you weren't aware, we've been uh, in a series focusing on Lent, as you can see there, season of preparation. Um... We've been in, who's been enjoying Lent? So it feels funny to say that, doesn't it? Like, oh, I'm enjoying Lent, you know? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, Lent, I think it's okay to enjoy Lent. The, enjoy the fruit of Lent. I think, just a little recap of Lent. Like, I think Lent is an incredible tool that we can use as believers just to focus in on this most special time of the year leading up to Easter. It's a tool that focuses and hones kind of our attention, our whole self, our mind, our emotion. And I think it's incredible that we're speaking about it because I just think even though maybe as a tradition we haven't been using Lent, but I just think it's an incredible tool that is there for the use if we want it to be. And I think of it in like, if you don't realize I'm a runner, you don't realize, I mean, if you didn't hear, if you didn't know, we sometimes talk about running. Um, I like to consider myself a runner. I'm not a very fast runner. I'm a bit of a slow runner. Recently, there was a bit of a, a race between, uh, we joined a race between uh, Pastor Nate, myself, and Joel Proctor, and um, a trail running race. It was Joel's first, and there was a bit of argument. I, I like healthy competition. It motivates me, so it was a bit of trash talk. I was telling Joel, you know, I'm going to crush him and stuff like this, and, um, but I... He was the better man on the day. And give props to Joel. He, he beat me. Pastor Nate beat both of us. Just say that. Um, but Joel, um, yeah, he crushed me. So there you go. But I think of, let, like, when I start to train for a race, I need to employ a training plan. And if I don't, I'm kind of unfocused, but I need to employ a training plan, and it gives me focus. It gets me in beast mode for training. And what happens is every day I need to get my run in, and every weekend I need my long run in, and everything else fades away a little bit. And the, the running, I need to get that run in for the training plan. And I think of Lent as a moment that does something similar, where it just kind of it helps refocus us in on like the spiritual disciplines, on God, in preparing us for this incredible moment where the entire church worldwide is celebrating uh, the most important moment in our calendar, Easter, and we get to celebrate together. So I think it's an incredible tool, I think, um, of, of focus and preparation. I love what Pastor Mel said when she kicked off this series. I think Pastor Mel kicked off the series. She said, do we give God permission to interrupt us? Just stuck. That's just hung with me. So do we give God permission to interrupt us? And I think Lent is the kind of thing that we can employ in our lives to, to let God interrupt us. Because I tell you what, sometimes straight after Christmas, we're into, we're into the year, we're, we're doing our thing, we're getting our routines happening and the school run and whatever it might be, uni started and, and it's hectic. But Lent can focus us in 
back towards God, our mind, our body, our spirit. We can just focus. It's a tool to help us focus in. So I think it's incredible that we're focusing on Lent. And today I want to talk to you about repentance. Woo! Everyone goes, yes, repentance. Everyone's like, come on, I love talking about repentance. I, I bet you, you know, having a drink with mates, you're always talking about repentance, right? Like, you know, at your table spaces, you're like, oh, I've been thinking about repentance all week and I just want to talk to you about repentance. No, but I, I, I think repentance, when I, all these kind of spiritual disciplines of Lent are really kind of a microcosm of the entire Christian life. They're just a natural Christian walk with God. And so repentance. Prayer and repentance is such a focal part of Lent, and it's a focal part of our Christian walk. It's not just Lent. Like when Lent's finished, these things we're talking about, we don't just go, oh, that was good, and then on with it, you know, like, no, prayer, repentance, making space for God. This is part of the normal Christian walk, a normal walk with God. So repentance, it's a, it's a weighty word. I think a lot of us have a different kind of maybe perception of, of what that means or what that could mean. But like I think of John the Baptist when I think of repentance. John the Baptist was pretty brutal. I mean, we talk about, talk about a, a wild character. He's out there in the wilderness with his like fur and honey and locusts hanging out of his beard. Like, it's wild. Like, I, it's pretty cool. Like, I think it's... Um, It'd probably be fashionable now, you know. He'd probably have a pretty good Instagram following. But he was out there in the wilderness preparing the way for Jesus. He's in the water baptizing people. And he says, there's one coming. I'm preparing the way for one coming that's greater than I. And he's, gonna, he's not going to baptize with water. He's going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they, the religious elite, the self-appointed kind of arbiters of God's righteousness in the world, um, they want to come check out what he's talking about because they're like, hey, this is not, it's not, we didn't come up with this, what's going on here? So they came down to the water and it says in Matthew 3, 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that was John, saw them coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, he's bold, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. Like he's just just dunking on the Pharisees and Sadducees. Like he's like, you've been training your whole life to be this righteous. I'm telling you, God can use these stones just as good as you. It's like, that's pretty bold talk. I mean, he'd get, he, he did get cancelled, I guess, but um, brutal. Yeah, but he was bold. This is what I love about John the Baptist. He was bold in the face of adversity in his culture, and he did not shy back from speaking the truth of God. And it might have cost him, but Jesus has some pretty good words to say about John the Baptist. He's the greatest born among women. Like, that is some pretty high praise in Scripture when Jesus says that about you. I mean, the awesome thing about that is Jesus also says that um, we're all just as good, so that's pretty cool. And uh, I'm not preaching on that, though, so it's good. Um, but he says to them, Do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as a father. I tell you, out of these stones I can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. A brutal, brutal message of repentance. And, um, 
And a lot of us have a kind of different uh, experience with repentance. But the word repentance, when it comes to the New Testament, actually the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Has anyone heard that before? Pastor Keith teaches on that sometimes. Oh, that sounds really bogan coming out of my mouth though, like metanoia. Like it's like really not Greek, like get some metanoia. I don't know. It sounds like a Pokemon, but, um, and I say that because my kids are getting into Pokemon. It's the Greek word metanoia, which literally means to change your mind. To change your mind. To change the way that you are thinking. Metanoia, repent, to change your mind. I don't know about you, but my kids change their mind all the time. Um, I wake up in the morning, I say, hey, what do you want for breakfast? What would you like for breakfast this morning? You know, they come out of bed and they're like, what's for breakfast? It's the same thing every morning. Like, the, it hasn't changed. What would you like for breakfast? I'd like some toast with Vegemite. Yes, Vegemite, which is the devil's spread. But, you know, that's disgusting. Yeah, I know. It's controversial. Hey, I'm being bold this morning, you know. Um, it's gross. It's, I can't do it. But, oh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm in the minority here. Um, I've got little dabs over here. Yeah, I know. I've heard it all. Um, so I say, okay, I'll go. I make the toast. I put the toast down. I wait for the toast. I spread the toast. Put the, come over to me. Here's your toast. I didn't ask for that. Yeah, you did. No, I said eggs. Yes, you didn't say eggs. And we're like, we're all tired. And it's like, okay, okay, I'll go. eggs. But they change their mind. But God's, it, metanoia doesn't mean that kind of change your mind. Like, it's not like this simple, it's not, it's not a mere switching of minor opinions but the entire direction of one's life. It involves a radical turning from our way to God's way, from our sin to God and His gift, from our opinions and our thoughts to His opinions and His thoughts. It's a turning away, it's a changing, it's a switching. Metanoia, repent, to change your minds. So for some of us here, we, we are far in the journey of our walk with Jesus. So we have a robust understanding of repentance in our walk. And I mean, we need you guys around. I need to learn from you. You guys, you have a, a great understanding. But some of us might have a different kind of understanding of repentance. You might be at the beginning of your walk with Christ. And, and it, you might see it as this, the moment that happened in time. That moment when you received Jesus, you saw it as an event in time where you said yes to Christ, and in that moment, you are very aware of your broken state. You are very aware of the fact that you didn't meet the mark, that you had sin in your life, and that you needed a Savior to rescue you from your sin. So repentance to you is that, is that moment. And if we think of a race, trail running race, you know, because that's journey, up through the mountains and the valleys. I don't run that long to be able to go in that many ecosystems and kind of dimensions of geography, but I'd like to one day. That's more Callan Hoppy. He's, he's that guy. But if you think of it, it, that was the beginning of your race. You know what I mean? And you might see repentance as the beginning of your race. And you might, I remember when I repented and that was that moment of deep repentance. And that's incredible. And sometimes repentance is a moment like that. Um, some people might think of 
Westboro Baptist, extreme religious, hateful people with sandwich boards that says, you're going to burn and God hates you. You know, that might be your understanding of repentance. I'm not sure. But I want to kind of expand on what repentance might be this morning. So for a lot of us, it's a static moment in time. And we might be thinking, yeah, I remember that. I repented of those big ones, the big sins, you know what I mean? I don't know what the big sin, like, you know, the big, the, the very obvious things that you repented and you, you asked for forgiveness and God came in your life. But there are, theologians actually say that there are two distinctions between two different types of repentance. And one is kind of like a pseudo false kind of repentance. We've got repentance of attrition, which is kind of, it's a pseudo soft repentance, which is kind of a, a self-preserving kind of repentance. It's the kind of repentance where I can ca- I see my kid doing something wrong. Like I'm behind, I'm like, you know how you do this sometimes? You hide behind, you can see something's going on. You're like, you hide behind the door and you're like, I can see, I'm full witness, you know what I mean? And so you're like, you can see what's going on in your kid, they're roughing up the little one or something like that. And then I love just kind of like going, Gotcha, like catching them in their sin, you know what I mean? And they, they freak out and they're like, really? You've just freaked them out, you know, which is fantastic. I don't know, I love doing that. They get sad and like, but you caught them in the act, you caught them red handed, the hand was in the cookie jar. I got you, I saw it. Um, and then they turn around and they're crying, oh, you know, freaking out. I'm sorry, oh, and, and really, this is. Repentance of attrition, this is kind of a soft repentance where it's like you've been caught, you want to save face, but you're, you're upset, you're remorseful because you've been caught and you don't want to face the consequences and there's a lot of fear involved and there's this kind of like self-protection mechanism around this kind of repentance or remorse or sorry. But in contrast, there's repentance of contrition which is actually more so if I didn't see my son do anything wrong, but he did something wrong. And he felt in his heart, he's like, man, I've got to go tell dad that I did this thing. He got away with it. He could have got, a, could have got away with it. But he decides to come to me and go, dad, I did this thing. Like I, I, uh, I throat jabbed my little brother. <laughs> and he can't breathe right now. <laughs> I don't <laughs> But this would be a repentance of contrition, a deep, true, a deep, true kind of repentance that takes full responsibility for his actions, doesn't try to save face, doesn't try to make any excuses. And we see this contrast in Scripture. There's, um, we see King Saul. King Saul, 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 King Saul is installed as king by Samuel, like prophet Samuel. And he gets a mission from God. He's like, go destroy all the Amalekites, destroy all the cattle, the sheep, destroy it all, destroy it all. I love the Old Testament. It's epic. Just, just destroy stuff all the time. Um, but Saul kind of doesn't do all that. He kind of sa- he, he destroys all the people, saves the sheep and stuff because they're pretty good. And like, he's like, yeah, I'll keep those. And, but he gets confronted by Samuel. And uh, Samuel comes and he's like, I did what God told me. Samuel's like, but what's the sound of bleeding sheep that I hear? And he gets caught out. And if you read, and we're going to go into it today, but if you read through 1 Samuel 15 where the Lord rejects Saul as king, you see this, you see Saul kind of half, it's not a full repentance. He kind of, he says sorry, but he's like, let's get on with it, you know, or he kind of makes some excuses. But in contrast, we have King David. 
And in King, King David, uh, you know, obviously King David, big time, sins against the Lord and people, commits adultery, murders, like big time. He's, he's, done, he's done a bad one. All right. So we've got King David and Nathan rebukes him. The prophet Nathan rebukes him. And it takes a little bit of time. But David, in essence, there's this sense of full repentance from David. And we get a glimpse in Psalm 51 of David's heart in repentance to the Lord. And I want to read it to you this morning. Psalm 51, 1 to 12. I'm not going down the whole thing because it just take too long. But 1 to 12 is pretty good. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. Anyone got some hyssop? I'd get some hyssop. And, and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me, this, I love this, create in me a pure heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is the heart of a man in true, deep repentance. It's beautiful. See, the the call to repentance is throughout Scripture has always been an urgent call for sinners to turn from their ways and turn to the Lord. However, as followers of Jesus, like I said before, this is not just a moment in time. Our repentance is not just a static moment that happened at the beginning of the race, that happened when we got saved, or happened when we asked for forgiveness of some some really big things. No, it's a natural part of our walk with Christ. It's actually a natural part of our journey with the Lord. Like, if that was the beginning, great, but it's actually part of the entire journey because you see we actually live in the now and not yet the theologians like to call it it's not it's not that wasn't from stranger things just in case you're wondering it sounds like a bit science fictiony we live in the now not yet theologians call it it's a bit more fancy they call it the overlap of the ages doesn't that sound cool so how you what uh, what have you been up to i'm in the overlap of the ages (laughs) okay all right What's been happening in your life, the now and the not yet, you know? <laughs> but this is what it looks like. You are saved, but you're also being saved, and eventually your salvation will be complete. And this is the, the now and the not yet. This is why we've received salvation by faith. And we are walking out our salvation in faith. And Scripture says to walk out our salvation in fear and trembling because we we're walking it out. So it's not a static moment in time. It can be, and it is sometimes. There are milestones throughout the journey. But repentance is kind of like Google Maps. I mean, it's not like Google Maps. You know what I mean. Google Maps, Apple Maps, 
you put in your destination, the journey. Say it's a trail run, I put on my journey, and I'll be running, doing life. It's a metaphor, if you figured it out so far. And I'm meant to go left, and my watch or my phone says, let's like, beep, beep, go this way. And I, I go this way, oh, no, got to, and it reroutes me. It says, go this way, turn that way. It's giving me directions. This is a picture of repentance in the walk of a believer on our journey. It's God saying, and he reveals to us that you have gone in the wrong direction. My word says this, and you have gone the other way. It's, like, it's time to reroute. I've got to, start, I've got to start going this way. If you continually ignore the reroute, you're not going to make it to your destination. <laughs> But God says, it's time to change your mind, change direction. And you might be on the journey and God says, it's time to go this way. You thought it was this way. You feel like it's this way. Your opinions say this way. Culture says this way. But God's saying, no, it's this way. The way to life is this way. And we've got we're to change our mind. Sometimes we've been going on the journey, like really long down the track, and God's like, it's complete 180. And that's kind of like your beginning of salvation. It's like, you mean I've got to backtrack? He's like, yeah, you've got to backtrack. And that's it. All right, I'm going, I'm going the way God has called me to go. The way God has said that I, I have, God's plan for our life is that we would be formed in the image of Christ. And we, as we move and we repent, we are moving towards being formed into the image of Christ. So between now and eternity, we're on this path, on a journey to being formed into the image of Christ. Wow, time has gone quick. I've got this ep- excerpt from a book that I started reading, which just nails it so well. Like, it just, just hit me so good. It's from an author called Dr. Robert Maholland. Uh, it's a book called Invitation to a Journey, a Roadmap for Spiritual Formation. Uh, it was published in 1994. And um, he's been, he's a pretty accomplished dude. He, a Masters of Divinity from Wesley Theological Seminary, um, a doctorate in theology from Harvard Divinity School, and he was a professor of New Testament uh, for 30 years at Asbury University, the one that's been having that revival. It's pretty cool, but I knew that after I read the quote, which is kind of cool. The start of the book, he says this, and I'm going to have it up on the screen so you can kind of read along, because it, it, it just, just nails this. This dude's way smarter than me. It says, I do not know what your perception of Christian discipleship might be. But much contemporary Christian spirituality tends to view the spiritual life as as a static possession rather than a dynamic and ever-developing growth towards wholeness in the image of Christ. When spirituality is viewed as a static possession, the way to spiritual wholeness is seen as the acquisition of information, techniques, and techniques that enable us to gain possession of the desired state of spirituality. Discipleship is perceived as my spiritual life, and tends to be defined by actions that ensure is possession. Thus the endless quest for techniques, methods and programs by which we hope to achieve spiritual fulfillment. The hidden premise behind all of this is the unquestioned assumption that we alone are in control of our spirituality. In brief, we assume that we are in control of our relationship with God. When spirituality is viewed as a journey, however, The way to spiritual wholeness is seen to lie in an increasingly faithful response to the one whose purpose shapes our path, whose grace redeems our detours, whose power liberates us from crippling bondages of the prior journey, and whose transforming presence 
meets us at each turn in the road. How is that? In other words, holistic spirituality is a pilgrimage of deepening responsiveness to God's control of our life and being. Man, Paul describes this so well. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of His resurrection and the participation of His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Not that I've already obtained all this. or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took the hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul, this sums up so good. And I've got three points that I'm not going to get to all of them. But my one point, I'm just going to give you the title. Repentance, it's recalibration. It's a recalibration. Allow God, sometimes they're micro-adjustments. Sometimes it's weeping uncontrollably at the foot of the cross unloading stuff to God. Sometimes it's like little things. Hey, that attitude? Yeah. Mm. Sometimes it's gross sins. Sometimes they're conscious sins. Sometimes they're unconscious sins that God starts to bring up and say, it's time to deal with this. Marriage and kids will do that to you. Like God will bring up unconscious sin in your life and go, hey, we're in the journey to deal with this one right now. And then sometimes you'll start to bring up the trust, the deep trust structures of our life. And start to we're gonna start to repent of things that we're not just doing, but the things we're not doing, where we're not putting our trust in God in this area in our life. Repentance is the beginning of renewal. Luke 9, 23, 24 says, This is Jesus. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That flies in the face of our culture. Deny yourself, must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. There's renewal as we die to ourselves, And repentance is, is turning away from ourselves to Christ. And we die to ourselves, and we die to Christ, but we are raised to life in Christ. There is renewal in repentance. But finally, I'm flying through the points. Finally, there are many dimensions to repentance. But in essence, repentance is above many things. It's a response. It's simply a response. Scripture says it's God's kindness that's going to lead us to repentance. And I just want to share another moment in Scripture with you, which I think just illustrates this so good. Could I have the whole band? Could, I, could the band come out? We're going to worship shortly. This is in Luke 19, 1 to 10, in the NIV, or the NIV, you know. It's going to be up on the screen. This is a familiar story. It's, it's about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus and Jesus, which is an incredible story. You know, we kind of, we learn it when we're young, and if we, if we were young as believers in kids' church and stuff like that, but tell you what, it's amazing how Scripture, as life goes and you meditate on it, just kind of the depths, the depths in Scripture aren't, aren't ending and the things that you can, that God wants you to discover and mine is incredible. But I just want to share this story because I think it's, it's an extravagant response of repentance to the kindness of God. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, we've probably talked about tax collectors before, but they were shunned in culture. Like, they were seen as traitors to the Jewish people because they're, they're working for the Roman government. They're taking money off the Jewish people. And sometimes, especially a chief tax collector, they're probably skimming some extra money off the top. They're extra wealthy. Like, he's got, he's got, he's got some drip. He's like, he's, he's, he's bossing around, you know. Um, he's bossing around Jericho. But everyone, despite the Jews, despite him, he's a traitor. That it was okay to be hateful towards them, to yell stuff at him, just to to curse him, to to make memes about him. Like there was memes about Zacchaeus, no doubt, drawn on the walls of Jericho or something. But he he was seen as an outsider. It was like that's he's a sinful guy. He's he's no good. That guy is no good. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, this is like the crescendo of the story, I reckon. Let's just paint the picture like Zacchaeus, he probably has some awareness of how people think about him in society. And he knows he probably shouldn't be out in the crowd, but he's, tr- he's trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. He's trying to see Jesus, and he, he's too short, which I think, you know, Paul Zacchaeus is going to read that in heaven and be like, why'd you have to put that in there? But he's kind of, you know, I think of George Costanza. Like, put it, you know. <laughs> Zacchaeus, you know, he wasn't wealthy, but he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to see Jesus, and you can see people kind of like, this God, what's he doing? Get out of here. Like, who, who do you think you are to come and see Jesus, this incredible teacher, this incredible rabbi? Who do you, get out, what are you doing here? And he, he's desperate. He wants to see Jesus and he climbs the tree and he's like, I just want us to check out what's going on. And some of us are kind of in that spot. We just want to check out what's going on. We're not close to Jesus or maybe we, we haven't been for a while. And maybe it's not culture that is like, it's not culture that is saying that you're no good. It's maybe it's just you. You're telling yourself, you are shaming yourself, ostracizing yourself from proximity to Jesus. You are saying to yourself, you are no good. You know, you're making memes in your own mind about yourself, but you are, you're putting yourself down. You don't, you despise, it's not the people that despise, it's yourself. You despise yourself and you think, I can't, I can't, get in close proximity to Jesus, but I'm happy to kind of be on the edges and peer in a little bit. Just like Zacchaeus, and he climbs the tree and he's up there just, just happy to see Jesus. But it says here, so Jesus was coming that way. When he reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up. He looked up at Zacchaeus. Imagine that. Some of us, we might be in a tree where we've, we're shaming ourselves and we're just like, I just want to see what Jesus is doing. But Jesus, He looks up at you. He sees you. It's just like a moment of intimacy in the crowd. God goes, I see you. I see you on the edge looking at me. And I love it. Jesus just invites Himself to Zacchaeus' house. He says, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, He called him by name. Zacchaeus, amongst the crowd that despises Him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. You know, what the heck? Well, he's going to a sinner. He's, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. There was nothing provoked that response except the kindness and the grace of God because God saw him and she says, called him by name, said, I'm coming to your house. And it's the kindness of God. It's our experience of that kindness of Christ, his grace, his goodness, his salvation that elicits the response of repentance. And he says, I'm coming to your house. And God says to you today, he's like, I'm coming to your, I want to come to your house. And you're like, my house is messy. I'm coming to your house. But don't you know who I am? I'm coming to your house. I want to be in your house. I want to be in your life. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to sit at your table. I want to eat with you. But you don't know what it is. And it elicits a response of like, God, you are so kind. Your grace and your mercy, you are holy. And it elicits this extravagant, extravagant response of repentance. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He doesn't just come to his house. He restores him into the body of like the Jewish people. He says he is a son of Abraham. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming messages. We would love for you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.